on this episode of Japan 2.0. Last time you told me probably cancer. Uh, what does that mean? Can you kind of put a number to that? And he said probably is probably, in, in his mind, probably was 50-50. Hello and welcome to part two of uh, this documentary style podcast about the healthcare system in Japan. <clears throat> I'm coming at you about two and a half months after the last recording. Um, it's been a lot's happened um, in the progression of where I left off. Um, the last thing I was told uh, by the doctor in the last podcast was um, that uh, I have a tumor and it's probably cancerous. And it took me by a huge shock. I thought that day I was just setting up an appointment to be told that I have some benign kind of lump in my throat and it's nothing I have to worry about. And 10 hours later, I was told that I probably have cancer um, very nonchalantly. So if you didn't hear that last podcast, uh, you'll definitely want to go go back and hear that. Um, this is a second part and what will probably be a three-part series, hopefully a three-part series. That'd be good news for me. The story won't continue on more than I planned. Um, but the second part, and I think it's probably the, the most useful part, you know, is like less about me so much, although that, that'll be in the background and kind of more look at Japanese healthcare. So if you ever come out here, uh, you can kind of know what to expect, maybe how it would compare to your home country. And just, you know, if you were going to have a bad thing happen to you, or sometimes, you know, that's a good thing. I had my son out here as well. And that was a really great experience. Um, kind of know what you're in for, especially when it comes down to the kind of paperwork and um, money. Um, so I'll kind of just be telling my story and then mixing in some of those um, pieces of information that would be useful for you, I'd hope. Um, so I was told that they were going to do a biopsy um, <clears throat> to further, you know, figure out. But yeah, at that moment, uh, probably looks, because <clears throat> of the size, it could be cancerous. So I want to say it was a month before I went back again. Ah, but now that I'm thinking about it, I, th- I think it was more like two weeks. Regardless, it definitely felt like a month, if not more, that two weeks of getting confirmation. Um, I was pretty okay with it. I just kind of ignored everything. I went back to my life as normal and didn't really tell anyone except for my closest friends about it, family. Um, and I remember like the day before I was supposed to go back into the hospital again, just being very nervous and remembering uh one of my favorite music groups the beastie boys uh, i remember um mca adam uh he died of some kind of neck cancer and i remember that the night before as i was laying in bed as you do and those thoughts wander through your mind and it was really the first like negative thought i had had that started really freaking me out i would say along the whole journey besides being told the shocking news it was really that night before that you know, I maybe started really feeling the most like sad and scared, even up until now. Um, and I looked it up and found out actually it was a pituitary gland, and it made me feel a little bit better. 
but still just kind of freaked me out because I remember watching a recording of him saying, yeah, it's been not a big deal. It's one of the better, you know, cancers to have and I'm probably going to be fine. And, you know, it's not obviously what happened, but that sounded very similar to my story and what people have been telling me, including the doctors. Anyway, I go into this meeting and a lot had happened in between then. Um, a key figure at my school, someone uh, above me on the chain of command, had heard about how things went, and the nurses at my school heard about how things went from the first part, and they just you know thought it was a bad representation of Japan and, or healthcare here. I have a school nurse at my school, and we have a doctor who's on call, and all of them are just like, "What? No, that's not right. That's not normal. Like, do you want us to call the hospital and complain for you?" I didn't want to cause trouble, and this is the best place, apparently, in all of Japan. It's the biggest thyroid specialist there is. So I want to come here, and I don't want to make them mad and complain or have them feel any ill will toward me if they're going to be operating on me. I'm trusting my life to these people. Um, however, um, this person, this key figure for my company, uh, also had to come to the same hospital just by happenstance. And somehow I got my name got brought up and the way I was treated here. And um, from what I understand, she kind of told them I wasn't happy. And so that made me feel really uncomfortable, like sending someone else to do my dirty work when I came back in the next time. So it was awkward and not a great time in my life. Um, but yeah, I came in and they kind of apologized and it was, it was slightly awkward, but they were very nice and they said, look, if there's anything we do to make you feel uncomfortable, just let us know, let us know, you know, how we can be better. Basically, the head nurse said that. Um, the doctor just kind of changed his tune. It was a little more serious and formal. Um, I will say, you know, that it's very accommodating here. They're always finding someone, um, making sure English workers are working that day to help me. And there's a little bit of charades you have to use to get through the, the front gate usually. But this is a, as a whole, not just my experience, but what I found in Japan is from the numerous times I've had to go to a doctor just for kind of random checks or for my son is uh, almost always doctors here can speak English because they studied the medical field and to read a lot of the books, maybe they have been translated into Japanese um, so you'll find for medical language for sure. I mean, they may not be able to ask you about your hobbies and stuff, but just talking about symptoms and things like that. Um, English is quite good here. So maybe for in the countryside or something, you might not find that. But as long as you're in a pretty cosmopolitan area, I think you'll have no problem as long as you do a little charades just to fill out the forms, you know. Uh, but once you get down to business and you're talking about the serious stuff, you usually don't have to like seek out to find an English-speaking doctor unless you really want to ask a lot of questions or there's something you're very concerned about. But if it's just kind of the basic, like you need some medicine or you want to be sent to a specialist or something, it's usually all right. So that's been the case here. Um, they actually told me if I wasn't happy with this doctor, then I could change to another doctor, which is nice. And you would think maybe why didn't you do that if you didn't like this guy? But um. I did a lot of research on thyroid surgery, and they said really having experience and like the number of surgeries you're done is quite important. And I researched this guy, and he has like he's the head guy here. He has the most surgeries, so it seems like the wise choice. Even though I don't like uh, his sense of humor. Um, so anyway, I go in, and you know I'm going to be told you have cancer or you don't. Well. 
I'm told even after they ran the biopsy, mm, yeah, we don't know. And I was okay. Well, last time you told me probably cancer. Uh, what does that mean? Can you kind of put a number to that? And he said probably is probably in, in his mind probably was fifty fifty, which to me was a giant sign of relief. Um, I thought probably meant eighty or ninety percent. You know, where I can I can handle fifty fifty. Like maybe you know flipping a coin. I'm an optimist by nature, so give me fifty percent, and I can hope and you know feel it's going to be that 50% good and focus on that and not the 50% bad so that was really good news for me relatively to the word probably and then they checked to make sure there wasn't any other cancerous cells nearby and that was really scary for me because I'd had this thing in me for a long time um at this point while I'm talking kind of about my personal journey here before I get more into like uh, just tips and tricks and information for you. I should say too, this is my absolute greatest fear in life is, um, just, I'm afraid of doctors alone and not to mention the greatest fear of all the doctor fears is getting cancer. Um, granted I have a better kind of cancer, you know, one that's not that painful and there's usually no chemotherapy or anything, but, um, yeah, still for me, for anyone, it'd be a very scary experience, but, um, I personally get really freaked out easily. I can't even watch like Grey's Anatomy or even those kind of soft like shows, uh, the scenes at the doctors and the hospitals, like it just creeps me out. Not even, not even blood or anything, just the mass and the imagery. And so I think it's important for you to know that just to kind of know where I'm coming from. And I might be overly introspective or, or sensitive about some of these things. And if you're not like that, you know, I don't want to freak you out or anything. Um, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. So that was that visit. That was a really big, important visit. So he pretty much says, look, yeah, it's best. We're going to remove this thing, do the surgery, take it out. We're going to study it for a month and then we'll let you know if it's cancer or not, but we have to take it out of you and study it for a month. It sounded really weird to me. Um, everything I had known, we can do biopsies on these things and find out, you know, um, but I was happy. I was like, okay, well, that's good. You got to take it out and study it for a month before you can determine if it's cancer. And then if it is, then they take out all of my thyroid. When they take out the tumor, there'll be a small part of it attached, about half of it. But it might, there's just a pretty solid chance that it'll still function with just the half that they're going to leave. So, yeah, that was good news. I was finding out that day. There. I'd have to get the tumor removed anyway because it's quite large. Uh, to keep the Japan reference for you, it's about the size of a Mekon or like a Clementine orange. So it's starting to get slightly uncomfortable and just when I wear a tie to work, you know, it's a little hard to breathe. But uh, nothing, like, unbearable. I mean, if I knew it would stay that size forever because I'm so afraid of doctors and surgery, I'd probably just keep it in there. But it's growing, so it'll get pretty uncomfortable. So after that, I probably, they gave me a date and this is where you should, you know, get ready to learn a bit about, uh, just public health care in general. I come from a country, the United States where we don't have public health care and you, you kind of pay your way and the more you pay, the better service you're probably going to get. And you can shop around and, you know, find a doctor, a hospital who's going to serve you fast. So it's been two and a half months since, uh, that initial recording and it's been about two months since this meeting I'm talking about. So this is back in late August probably. And the doctor says, okay, we'll set up your surgery for November 4th. 
we're like, what? I have something that could be cancerous, could be spreading, and you're going to wait like two months <laughs> to make the appointment. Um, and he's like, yep. Now, again, I could have probably went to another hospital and got in sooner, but this is apparently the best place in the country. So take that with a grain of salt. I don't know. Again, I've, by the way, I've never been to doctors. <laughs> this is how afraid I am. I was born in a hospital, and that was it. I never really went back to the doctor again. I think one time my mom tried to get me to have a physical for, like, sports, and I, like, wouldn't leave the car <laughs> as a teenager. Um, my mom does a lot of natural me- medicine, like um, acupuncture and things like that. So she would, like, just sign off on the forms or claim, like, the religious claim. So I got through all those medical checks through school as a kid that way. So I literally never been a doctor in korea when i came into the country you got to do a health check there like a drug test and blood test um so i had to do that and that was incredibly freaky for me after 25 years not being on the doctor that was bad uh, although obviously now <laughs> that doesn't compare it wasn't so bad but anyway um <clears throat> yeah so i don't know much about you know doctors in other countries so hopefully you do and that's why you're listening to this um, so yeah, I don't know, it just seemed long. I just kind of couldn't believe that, you know, but whatever. I mean, I, I want to go to a place where I feel comfortable and they have all this English support for me. Uh, this hospitals put out research. I mean, Japan is one of the best healthcare systems in the world. One of the best places of medical facilities in the world. So I started to kind of feel like I'm a baby, you know, like I'm always thinking like, oh, maybe it'd be cool to go live in Thailand and be on beaches and things like that. Um, or, I don't know, I met some people recently at Fuji Rock who are from China and they were talking about how it's like the Wild West and it's so unexplored and they felt a little restricted and I had to always be quiet, you know, and conservative in Japan. And I was like, yeah, it's cool, maybe I want to do that. But it's kind of a reality check that I'm, I'm old man now. And uh, yeah, if I was in those mentioned countries, I'm sure their medical systems aren't the worst or anything. But even in Japan where I'm like, hmm, they're like, you know, number two or three in the world. Like I'm wanting number one. So it lets you, shows you how, you know, good you have it and you get spoiled. But yeah. So, uh, all right. I'm going to have to deal two months and wait for the surgery. Uh, I probably had two appointments after that. So I would say in all, I've had four appointments before I'm hospitalized, by the way. Right now, I'm recording this uh, the night before the surgery in the hospital. I'll get to that later, towards the end of this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I had a couple appointments. Now, I'll say the initial time I came in here, that last podcast, I recorded about that one. I was here for what, again, what felt like eight hours, maybe it was slightly less. And that was about a $100 charge that day. Um then everyone since then, I think I've had to come in three times since that initial one. I would say the charges are around eighty or sixty dollars each each time. So you're looking at around three hundred dollars that I paid so far for these visits. Now, I have um, a private healthcare on top of um, the public healthcare here, so I pay a little bit more than what's normal for um, insurance and things like that every month. Um, so I was honestly a little surprised by those charges. Granted, I would be here for a lot, and they'd run, like, MRI scans on my body and very intense things. It wasn't just, like, coming in and talking to a doctor. 
Um, I had cameras shoved down my nose, into my throat, <laughs> lots of lots of horrible things. I did breathing tests, all these um, crazy um, things, and uh, paid three hundred dollars. So I don't know. You, you tell me if that's a lot or not. Oh uh, yeah, I know. Compared to the states where I never had insurance before I left, of course it's not a lot. But I don't know. At Korea, you know, the couple times I had to go to the doctor, had friends go to the doctor, I felt like it was always like $3 there or $5 and people were getting medicine. So I often compare Japan and Korea because they're quite similar in some ways. Um, so I was a little surprised by that. But um, anyway, so I had the final meeting before I got hospitalized and that was where a lot of unknowns got answered. They really sat and they had like a head nurse come talk to me and she has probably the strongest English of anyone here and uh, just asked any questions I might have at all. I met with the anesthesiologist and they talked about that and they asked me uh, lots of, you know, just questions to make sure I'm going to be comfortable here and if I can eat Japanese food and what kind of foods I like. Again, just to make sure I'm totally comfortable, like who would be coming with me to the hospital. So that last visit was really good. It felt like kind of bedside manner, you know, and they told me not to be worried. And uh, I was starting to get a little concerned about the amount of money because I talked with another coworker who had a big heart problem last year. I don't know exactly. I'm pretty weak on medical terminology because I've been very lucky and never had to deal with this stuff. But basically, I had, you know, major heart uh, surgery and I know we were all very worried for him and he told me he remembered it was around $10,000 he paid up front um, which was kind of a high number for me you know it's not gonna totally you know put me in the debt or anything but be a lot of my savings gone and um, I was like oh man wow yeah and I felt bad. He's like, oh, do you need to borrow money or something, man? I was like, no, 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 it's, it's okay. Just wasn't expecting that number. But then he was like, yeah, but we did this. Um, you, like, give back the receipts. And he said we got a lot of that money back, but he couldn't remember how much. Um, so there's going to be a third part of this podcast where I'll be able to totally kind of confirm that for you. But what I can say is I paid $300 for these four visits, and then the hospital stay, which is seven days, um, it, I had to pay up front $2,200 when I checked into the hospital yesterday. So overall, I'm looking at like $2,500. Now, of that, I have a $700 room fee because I have a premium room. There is a free room available. So you would take $700 off that and you have about $1,700-ish. Um, now, the thing is, I didn't really choose that. <laughs> I, I would think in a lot of places, uh, they say, well, our free rooms are our book, so we're going to move you to this private one, and we're going to get it for free. But um, here, even the free room is a private room. It's all by yourself. It's small. There's no couch. You don't have your own um, shower. You have to, like, do you have a communal shower? Um, but, yeah, I thought it was kind of weird. They're making me pay for it, even though they don't have room for me in the other one. Um, so that's interesting to know. You should know that. Uh, but to be honest, I will use that extra space. Um, my wife's been here. My son's been here. Uh, have, hopefully, uh, I think people are coming to visit. Um, so, yeah, it's not going to go unwasted, and we'll be a little more comfortable. Uh, but that's, yeah, one thing you should know. And it, I thought it was kind of interesting. I had to, like, pay up front. Um, when we had a child in Japan, we, at the very end, paid. That number, by the way, 
it's a little bit foggy. It was a while ago, but then we paid $2,000 at the end at that hospital. And again, that was a private hospital. I'm at a private hospital now too, which in Japan means better than what the government would supply. That has, both of these places are very well regarded. Um, that one was called Weida Hospital. Weida Hospital is much nicer than the place I'm at. The place I'm at, there's nothing wrong with it, but uh, that was like staying at a resort. I mean, they even had like a massage and facial. You could get um, the food there was incredible. My wife likes Japanese food, but she's not as crazy about it as I am. There's certain fishes and things that she won't eat, or I'll eat pretty much anything as long as it doesn't have eyes on it still. Um, and I loved eating the food there that she didn't want to eat. It was so good. So I kind of had high expectations, but the food here has been kind of bland. And uh, check out our Instagram. Um, I'm not sure how back, long back it would be from now. It could be anywhere from two weeks to maybe a month. So go look back and you can see a picture of my room. And I put up a couple of meals on there. Um, if you want to get some visuals to what I'm saying here. But I mean, the food and stuff's all free. There's three meals a day. That, I mean, it's included in the price I talked about before. Um, I actually just remembered that um, starting at nine o'clock, I cannot. Uh, eat anymore so i'm trying to see what time it is right now i have 14 minutes so i bought a uh, cheese bread um there's this bread that's kind of flavored like cheese almost like a cheesecake as my final meal um anyway back to the payment stuff yeah so oh, it's a little bit more here to you know get a, a tumor removed like a cancer analysis um than it was to have a child and similar amount of time and stay and, and treatment um so that yeah that price is kind of high now i've been told by my school that keep all the receipts and i'm going to get a lot of that back so again i'll report to you on that after it's all said and done on probably the third part of this the plan for the third part is also um to meet with matt and hopefully he, i think he'll listen to parts one and two and then we'll do like a q a and how kind of maybe there are questions he's as a listener that you guys would have as well but um i would encourage you to contact us on instagram or twitter or facebook or anywhere and ask me questions you know about the healthcare system let me know how it compares to your own country or tell me your own experiences um things that are kind of interesting are like visiting hours here are generally between like 12 and 8 i'm not sure what that would be like in other places and like if my wife wanted to stay with me like i have a couch which is not allowed to stay the night um which is kind of a bummer on the surgery day um you can't really see each other that much like i want to wake up and she'll be here but like once i go off to the surgery um, i'll be like in a public room recovering for a day and she can like just come in there and like say hi and then she has to go so that's kind of interesting, I think. Um, i trying to think of other policies they have. For me, I'm here. Or here's, here's the craziest one. Here's one of the, the biggest differences between the states and Japan. They're very conservative with their estimates and what's going on. And uh, I looked up this procedure in the U.S., and it's about a 12-hour procedure. So you generally would come in around like 7 a.m., and you go home that same day at 7 a.m. for the exact same thing I'm having here. <laughs> I'm staying here seven days. The craziest of all that seven days to me is the two days before. So I came in yesterday 
and I'm here today, and I'm getting the surgery around 2 p.m. tomorrow. So that's bad. like why, and I started getting worried they're gonna run. Uh, I mentioned before I had to have a camera put down my throat, inserted through my nose. It was so uncomfortable. It wasn't necessarily painful, just uncomfortable. And I was, I have a, I found out I have a, a sensitive gag reflex, and I was just gagging the whole time, and it was very, very embarrassing. And I was trying to push the guy away from me, but mentally I was like, no, don't, don't do that hand. But my hand was just out of control, pushing this guy in. Anyway, um, I thought they were going to be doing that stuff to me before, so I started to get kind of nervous, and I came in, and they have full English schedules for me, tons of forms, all in English, it's great, a lot of pictures, and you know, just taking my blood pressure and stuff, uh, taking my, they took my blood, uh, took my height and weight, uh, I got a urine, urine test going on tomorrow, like... No, they've done all these things, by the way, like a million times. They've taken my height and weight in the last two and a half months, like ten times. Not weight, maybe I can kind of see, but like height. <laughs> I'm 33 years old. I don't think I'm changing that much. So there's a lot of procedures, and you just follow the rule, and it's very uh, conservative and safe. Which yeah, I'd, I'd much rather it be that way than the other way. But um, some of it can feel like a bit much. Um, yeah, so what else? Um, I would say the two kind of craziest things since I've been here was going to the operating room. Now, this is not the room where I recover, and this is a room where they're legit doing the surgery. They wanted to make sure I knew what that was going to be like so I don't, like, freak out when it happens. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of with two minds of this. One is now I'm... I have this very strict, uh, very memorable vision that I'll never forget, a very cinematic vision of me being taken and opening these doors of this room. It's nighttime. It's over the weekend, so none of the doctors are here, and it's kind of dead up on this ward. Again, this is like the, you have to pay to be up here, so I think a lot of people don't want to pay and be up here. Um, so they take me in, and it's just huge, wide-open space, and everything's dark and dim, and it's very new, you know, and very modern, but there's just, like, again, huge space. You could fit thousands of people in there, and there's just this one operating table with spotlights, like, coming down on it, and then, like, a step ladder to get up there, and then I meet this other nurse who, um, my main nurse is just being translated, really, and she's, like, the head operating nurse, very formal introduction and then there she's saying like okay this is the table you're going to be on we want you to see it and i was okay all right i see it thanks and they're like okay now uh, we want you to come up on it and sit on it and i was like okay okay it's a bit much okay i'm sitting on it and they're like okay now we want you to lay down and then they like strap me in and it's very much like a straight jacket (laughs) I mean, it's not a jacket, but you're laying down and there's huge industrial belts with like metal clamps and they lay me down on that and then they start like pushing me around and it, I get motion sick kind of easily and it's just, you're only seeing stuff up on the ceiling, you know, and it's, I can't think of many positions before where I've not been able to like turn my head or sit up, you know, like just staring at the ceiling while you're moving around and just instantly, you know, the way that movies are for me, video games really show those scenes are so accurate. And I just felt totally like all that stuff that I try to avoid uh, watching. 
And yeah, they took me in there and then they took me out and they're like, all right, yeah, we just want to let you know, like, that's what it's going to be like on the day. And, you know, they walked me through all like, now we'd put anesthesia on you. Now we do this injection and it was really interesting. But again, just no one being in there. I don't know. It felt weird. It felt like I was kind of on a field trip seeing like how a hospital will work. But the scary thing was knowing that, yeah, this is my life. And in two days, this is really going to happen. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that was, that was very unexpected and crazy. I thought it was just like, yeah, I'm going to get a little tour, you know, not, uh, so interactive. And that was yesterday, last night. And then the one this morning was, um, a nurse, they, they come in every day and wake me up at seven o'clock. They like play this little song on the loudspeaker in here. And a lady comes in every day. And for me, I'm going to sleep as late as I can. I have nothing to do here all day. Like, I just want the day to go by as fast as possible. So they wake me up every day at 7. I guess I could set an alarm, so I'm up slightly before. They shout, Ohio Gazimus in here and say, Dojaibu, which means, like, are you all right? But they're, like, saying it loud and clearly for me. And I don't know. It's not, not a super pleasant way to start my morning, to be honest. And... um yeah, then I had breakfast at 8 a.m. Then girl came in and took my blood pressure again. All oh, this is normal, fine, whatever, besides the wake up. And then a girl comes in and she's like, I'm okay, uh, shave shave time. And they told me that they wanted me to shave my face. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like now? Like I heard before, I had to do it before 7. She's like, yes, now, I, I will do it. And I was like, huh, okay, well, never had anyone shave me before, but this will be interesting. And then as she comes over, I'm like, uh, okay, like my, my face, and she's like, no, 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 like uh, roll up your pants. And anyway, she takes measurements of my socks and gives me socks, and then asks me to take off my shirt and shaves my arms and my chest, and then take off my pants. I'm just sitting there in my underwear in this hospital bed where there's this hair going everywhere in the bed, and she's trying to like catch it in a small garbage pail. If you ever see like bathroom garbage cans in Japan, you'll know they're very small, comically small. Like they could fit like a one Starbucks coffee cup, <laughs> maybe two, and that's it. And they're full. Yeah. So this girl comes in to shave me and I find out she's shaving my my whole body as I'm naked in bed and hair is going everywhere and I'm just thinking like I'm, I'm sure they're gonna change these sheets but this is where I am hanging out for a while like this is weird why couldn't they just say we need your arms your chest and your legs shaved here's a razor can you go in the bathroom and do that I just felt very I don't know if emasculated. It doesn't matter that I'm a guy. I just felt so incompetent. <laughs> like, I'm not... A lot of people who are here are a bit older. Maybe that's why. I don't know. It was strange. She's making small talk with me, too, as she's doing it, um, which is nice, but added to the layer of awkwardness. So that's kind of my experience, you know. Um, I would say uh, healthcare here... You gotta pay a good chunk up front um, compared to like what you might think about public health care. However, I'm expecting a lot of it get, to get reimbursed. I'll talk more about that in the follow up to this. Um, I would say very accommodating for being a foreigner. They definitely want me to feel very comfortable as they can, whether that's language or food or <laughs> allowing people to be here. Um, 
the visiting hours tomorrow don't start until like 12, like I was saying, but um, it's the day of my surgery and I'll be nervous. So they told my wife she can come in, you know, as early as she wants to with me. So things like that are, are great. Um, yeah, the facilities are, are very nice overall. If you go to some doctor's offices in Japan, they can be a little old school. The equipment can be old. And it's kind of like if you watch too many Japanese horror movies, it looks like uh, some of these doctor's offices would be a good setting for that. But, you know, if you choose your place wisely, uh, you can get, you know, some real top-notch facilities, which has always been, I put in that extra work, so I'm comfortable and feel confident. Um, yeah, there's a lot of paperwork you have to do. All the paperwork I've, I've had to do has been in, uh, these forms are all in Japanese. And I just sit with a friend or a coworker, and um, they'll just tell me what they say, and then I write in English, and no one's had any problem with that. Um, yeah, some slight cultural differences, like I mentioned about maybe when you'd have humor or like nervous laughter can be interpreted as laughter, but I really think that's a one-off. Um, in my four and a half years or so in Japan, I've never really experienced anything like that. So it just goes to show you that there's weird people everywhere, even in great countries where I've had so many exclusively positive experiences with interactions with people. Um, yeah, but that's that's feels like a short version. I know it's been about 30 minutes or so, but there's kind of been a lot that's happened. And um, I'll have about four days of being here, five days of being here after my surgery, where I feel I'll probably have more things to say then. Um, so I'll, I'll maybe include that after here or not. Uh, one thing I guess I will say is I've been podcasting for Japan Tupuro. I think we've been doing it for at least two years before that we did uh two crude mon dudes a very similar style of show about korea we did that for about two to three years so i've been podcasting for five years and this surgery i've been told is gonna definitely change my voice um it could maybe just make it like a tone a slight bit um more deeper i think i already have a kind of deep voice um or it can make it very, very hoarse, actually, and so badly that, like, it could really affect my voice. And if your job uses a lot of speaking, which mine does, it could um, make that harder to do. But they tell me that's about a 1% chance of it affecting it that severely. Regardless, next time I talk to you, my voice will probably be different. So look forward to... Um, I don't know. People always say Matt and I have a similar, I don't know if it was similar voices, but maybe our, our speaking patterns are, are similar. Um, so yeah, maybe it'll be easier to distinguish now, but I'm going to keep podcasting as long as, uh, as long as I can. So my new horse voice isn't going to get me down. So I look forward to hearing from you in part three and hopefully everything goes well. And I come back in uh, high spirits because no one wants to listen to a depressing podcast. So until next time. I'm not a
success uh, however my voice um has pretty much fully recovered uh it's now november 10th on friday and i had the surgery on november 6th on monday so about four to five days ago um my voice was uh weaker and more raspy uh maybe up until yesterday, and today is the day where I feel like it's almost back to normal. It's still a bit off, and if I try to hit some uh, high notes, or if I get too excited, uh, I find it kind of cuts out. I went back in part one, the segment after the music break, and that was actually recorded um, just yesterday, or the day before. Um, so you could hear in there my voice is slightly different, but you know, I, I'm very lucky in a lot of ways. Uh, surgery was um, successful. It didn't really alter my voice. I made a friend here on the floor, um, another um, non-Japanese girl from Michigan, actually, my, my home state, and it affected her voice more. Or if I've talked to her for more than 10 or 20 minutes, I kind of feel bad because I can just hear her voice totally giving out and it sounds painful to talk. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't believe the last segment I recorded was five days ago. I had to go back and listen to it. And to be honest, I could barely remember recording that content. Um, I don't know if it's just because a lot has happened or if it's because, um, my brain is kind of off. Um, I'll just kind of start with um, the morning of the operation. I didn't wake up feeling as nervous as I should have. I gave a big prelude in part one about how this is my greatest fear, and even watching hospital shows on TV gives me the creeps. But, yeah, it was good. You know, my wife was here and very supportive, and she's a very um, jovial, positive person. So she kept me in high spirits, and we were just joking the whole time and taking silly photos of the things I had to wear and the shave job I talked about in part one and sending them to family members. And they gave me these socks I had to put on, and they're very like tight. It's like the ones that old people would wear um, if they're flying on an airplane. And they had like the toe cut out. So I, I they're too small for me, even though they... I mean, articulately measured my calf and leg. They were too small. So I had it, so my toe was peeking out of this hole. But the nurse came in to inform me, you know, the hole should, like, go on top of my foot and don't put your toes out of it. Um, so, yeah, things are things going good. And it wasn't really until they came and put the IV in that I started to feel really sad. And it was probably the first time throughout the whole, you know, it had been two and a half months since they had found this tumor, it was the first time that I really felt sad since I remember, like, the walk home from that first hospital visit. Um, for me, just just the scene, the visual of an IV looking down at my hand, you know, with the bracelet on and stuff, that just seems like serious business. And I just kind of repressed all my feelings and emotions, and I'm a dad, and I have a full-time job with kids, and you know, I'm answering emails after hours and stuff, and I've just really managed to live my life normally. I'm, I'm very lucky that um, the tumor hasn't really negatively affected me. It's slightly uncomfortable. So I was able to really just forget about it all. Um, 
So I think those repressed emotions, you know, finally came out, but still wasn't as bad as, you know, you might expect or I would think. Um, I was just kind of worried about getting an IV and the pain and stuff too, but got the IV in. Um, that was, you know, an interesting experience, kind of being tethered to something and just the feeling of it. Um, I don't know if you've ever had an IV before, but I could like taste sweetness in my um, spit from like the glucose they put in there. Uh, I asked the nurse about it and she said, oh, I've had an IV and I didn't experience that, but maybe you're very sensitive. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can make this a long story, but the short version is I get, uh, oh, they take my temperature like every hour the morning of the operation. And they've been taking my temperature a lot, and they've been very strict on, hey, don't get sick, do anything you can to avoid getting sick. If you do, we have to change this operation. And again, part of um, public health care mixed with, in that public health care, choosing a very in-demand hospital. Again, this place is top-ranked for thyroid uh, tumor removal in Japan, is this long wait time to get in. So if I get sick, what happens, right? Like, can they just schedule me the next day or do I have to go home? So an hour before the operation, everything's been fine and great, and my fever spikes up to 38 degrees Celsius, which is about 100.5-ish in uh, Fahrenheit. And I'm just like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I was really hot nervous sweaty so I thought all right let's take off the blankets you know open the windows and it'll be better and they come in again <laughs> maybe it's an hour later at this time and it's like d d day you know it's, it's 150 was the time i was supposed to go in there and i think it raised by like 0.2 degrees celsius and i'm just thinking like um i'm nervous enough for the surgery and now i have this complication and before i can't even really process that. And it's like, all right, let's go up to operation. I'm like, really? With the fever? She's like, yeah, it's okay. So that was a <laughs> added uh, anxiety. And I go up there and my strategy is just look down, like look at my feet ahead of me, look at the ground, don't look around the operation room or anything. I talked about in the previous part, you know, they took me there the night before and showed me that. And I do think it helped because I knew where to look and where to not look, like what was essential. So I remember getting up on the table and just closing my eyes. And I remember the mood in there was so jovial. Like, it was like a bunch of guys playing D&D or something, like, just ripping on each other. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best reference, but I just saw Stranger Things, so that's what's in my mind. Um, yeah, like, they're just laughing, and a girl's like, okay, EKG time. And the night before when I met that head nurse, they call an EKG. By the way, EKG is like a heart test um something else in japanese and i was like oh is that ekg she's like yes 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 same thing well i guess ekg isn't the right acronym there's something else so another doctor who knew the english term english term is like ripping on her for saying the wrong thing and she's like politely telling him in japanese oh no that's what he calls it so i'm just calling it what the patient calls him you know calls it and they're just laughing and they're like why do you have a fever like is your son sick and in broken English, and I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, I guess it helped ease the tension, but I was like, I was kind of not in the mood for it, but also kind of happy. I mean, rather than everyone being really serious, you know, I don't know what the best case operation room scenario is, but it wasn't what I expected for sure. 
And the next thing I remember is them putting on like an oxygen mask on my face and me saying, okay, is this the anesthesia? Because that, that's really what I'm focused on this whole time is like, all right, what's this anesthesia experience going to be like? And what's it going to be like when I wake up? And like, am I going to wake up mid-operation? Number one fear, right? Especially I was thinking like, I'm a foreigner, I'm tall. Maybe they give me a lower dosage because Japanese people are smaller and it's not as powerful, which I do think I'll talk about a little later is a valid actual concern with the amount of medicine I've been given here. Um, anyway, next thing I know, I'm just ap- asking about the mask and they're like, no, no, it's just for oxygen. Next thing I know, I'm being told, okay, we need to get into your mouth and check in your mouth. Okay. And they yank out this black tube out of my mouth and then operation was successful and I can hear murmurings of my wife's voice somewhere in the background. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, n- no way. And all those like you know, stereotypes of you just close your eyes and you open your eyes and it's done. It was very true. Um, I was just like, but my neck feels fine. I just kept saying like, my neck is all right. Like, I don't feel anything. Like, yeah, it was successful. Everything was good. And I was like, all right, this is amazing. Like blood tests have been worse than this uh, leading up until here. And my wife came in and I just remember being so happy she was there and just telling her I loved her and I couldn't really see her. I definitely felt like I shouldn't move my neck. I just got to look up at the ceiling. And I don't know how much time went by from there, but I do remember thinking like, huh, I wanted to kind of like say weird stuff. Like everyone kept telling you when you go under, you're going to say goofy things and feel kind of weird. And I didn't. I was just happy and content and just so happy it was over and that my wife was there right away and I didn't have to wait a long time to see her or hear her. And then, again, I don't, I don't know how much time goes by, but I just start to feel... I want to say they put on the oxygen mask again, and that's kind of when it started. I felt like I was drowning in every single breath, and you don't realize how often you take a breath until every breath feels like work. And, like, it could be your last breath, and you're not getting enough air. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa something's wrong here. Like, I can't breathe. And I was told by a friend through my school community um, who lives in Japan that if you look, if you have trouble breathing, you let the nurses know right away. It could be like a blood clot, and that's like the number one thing that could go wrong after a thyroid operation. So I have that in the back of my mind the whole time. I'm like, Liz, my wife's name, like, I, I can't breathe. And she's like, look, the doctors came and checked on your breathing. Everything's fine. I'm looking at this monitor right behind you. Like, you're breathing. I can see your chest going up and down. I know I'm breathing, but like I might not be able to take the next breath. And every word I say is like a loss of breath. Like it feels like wasted. Like I don't want to talk or communicate, but yet at the same time, I need to let people know something's going wrong here. And this is really the first time where I feel me not speaking Japanese becomes an issue throughout this whole process. Yeah, the very beginning, checking in the hospital, getting to the right person was a little bit of a hassle. But it was just annoying. It wasn't like scary or like I'm in a foreign country now getting medical care and I can't get the information I need. But I felt this way for the next six hours, which were might be hyperbolic to say, but possibly the worst six hours of my life. Um, and it was such a juxtaposition from the good feeling I had. And I don't know how it turned. I don't know if it's just this oxygen mask that they put on that 
made me feel this way. But on top of this all, I was forced to fast um, the night before starting at 9 p.m. So at this point, it's probably around 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. the next day. So it's almost been um, 24 hours of fasting. I think I'm hypoglycemic. Uh, I don't know. I've never been diagnosed, but I can't skip a meal. If I skip a meal, I just feel like passing out and I feel woozy and dizzy and I can't think straight. I've been that way for like the last 10 years. I kind of told the doctors before, but uh, they're kind of like, look, there's nothing we can really do about that, to be honest. This is part of the process. You have to fast. You can't eat. And you're hooked up to an IV. So I'm just laying there, and everything's like in a daze. And I don't know where I am exactly. If I was asked to describe the environment around me, I would just say like white sheets or blankets above me. Um, I knew my wife is there. I can't even see her face. I can just hear her. And I can see my hands, but they are like fog around them. I can just see the hands at the end, and I kind of see what I'm feeling with my hands, if that makes sense. And they have these heavy blankets on me that make it kind of feel claustrophobic a bit. Again, like I'm disconnected because I can't move my body like I want. I'm weak. I have heavy blankets on me, and I'm coming out of anesthesia, I suppose. And it, again, every breath, every second is feeling like it's going by so long, and there's nothing I can do. Call the doctors over, and they're like, yeah, it's normal, it's normal. And I'm like, this can't be normal. I'm like, how long is this going to go on? And they're like six hours. And I was like, what? Like that? Again, no distraction. I'm not tired. I'm wide awake. No movies, no anything. In a dark room where we're told not to talk because it's a shared space. There's about eight other people recovering in there. Um, which leads me to the next problem, which is that Liz is only allowed to be in there. They don't give a firm number, but they're like, mm, you can come in for like 20-minute visits and then you have to go. And there's no real, like, how often can you come back? But it's made, we're known that, look, we don't want people in here because everyone has a guest in there. It's not going to be, like, a peaceful place of recovery. So I just remember saying, look, Liz, you cannot go. Like, she's just there, like, holding my hand, you know, kind of consoling me. And that is calming me just enough to get these breaths in, in my mind. And I was like, you cannot go. Like, even when you stop because you're tired from, like, consoling me, like, I start to panic. And it, the feeling was getting worse and worse and not, not better and better. And this is probably as the anesthesia wears off, right, and the painkillers wear off. Um, and she leaves. They come in and say, out, <laughs> just the word out, kind of aggressively. And she goes, and I kind of go into panic attack. And I'm like, can't breathe. And I'm just thinking, like, I'm counting down the minutes and I have a button. They give you this button in your hand to hold and I can barely like press the button or even find the button. I remember and I call it and they come over and no English, you know, and I'm just like, look, I can't breathe something like I to sit me up because what it feels like is all the spit is like draining to the back of my head and getting caught in my throat. I can breathe through my nose just fine, but I need to clear out that spit, and it's not getting clear. When I swallow it, it's not all going down. And if I was sitting up, I'd feel like it would naturally just kind of run down my esophagus uh, in the op, you know, or out of my mouth even. Um, but they're like, no, you have to stay. And it didn't even feel like I was just totally parallel to the ground. It felt like my head was hanging lower than my feet. It felt like I was being waterboarded. Um, again, 
kind of hyperbolic, but that's what it felt like. And I pressed that button so many times, and the nurse just came over and gave me the big X and said, Dame, which is something like you say to kids, like quit it or stop it. And I, every time I kept saying, like, wife, like, please, can I have my wife? And I guess my thing was, like, what does it hurt? Like, we're not talking because, trust me, I don't want to talk. And every time I call them and say something, I, it's so hard to even just get up the courage to bother them slash get the breath out. And that, for sure, I don't know how long she was gone for, but that was the longest time period, and it felt, it felt like an hour, but... Anyway, so she comes back, and I was like, look, you cannot leave again. So like, I have to. You know, there's nothing I can do. So time goes by, and it's, it's horrible still. And finally, I remember seeing the doctor, and the doctor speaks good English, right? And he comes over, and he's very, oh, yeah, it's great, it's successful. And I was like, no, it's, it's not okay. Like, I'm drowning here. I feel so weak. And they're like, all right, you just have four more hours and we're going to pull out the catheter. Yeah, surprise, you have a catheter and you can go to the bathroom. And I was like, in four hours, I'm only going to be weaker from not eating. There's no way I'm walking out of this bed. Like, I can't even like lift up my head right now. And they're like, no, no, you'll feel better in time. And I was like, look, man, I'm not going to feel better, number one. Second of all, I need my wife here. Like, I can't think of the crappy Japanese I know to communicate and I don't want to break down my English for them like my wife needs to be a translator and maybe even use Google Translate which she had to sometimes and the doctor sat there for like two seconds really thought hard and just said like one very stern word to the nurse in Japanese and okay she can stay and then they said um, you can give you can go buy some like hard sugar based candy to give him later when he gets the catheter out I just remember crying. I actually yeah, cried in that moment, and, like tears running down my face, and just been like, thank you just for letting Liz stay there. Um, and I just feel like I shouldn't have to get that emotional or plea that hard for that. Like, again, what does it matter if she's there and we're not talking and she's just quietly sitting there, you know, not restricting what the nurses can do? And this is where I think, you know, we get to the Japan outlook on things. And, um, I think here, you know, there's just rules that are made and you don't break the rules even if um, situations are happening where those rules don't maybe apply, you know? Um, like we need someone to translate, for example. And then there's also an order of um, like levels here or responsibility. And, you know, a nurse is told by the doctor this is the rule and they can't freely think about the situation on their own and, and decide when to break that rule you have to kind of jump the line of command and I have to go straight to the doctor and he can tell the nurse then, you know, this is what you can do. And I've seen that in the workplace too and heard about it a lot in the workplace. And it's considered quite rude to jump that line of command. Um, but I'm very happy I did it. Also then I've been asking about like a painkiller or just something. Like I'd heard about drips, IV drips in the States and you can get a painkiller through one. I kept asking about that. Now, I didn't have pain in my neck still. It was getting uncomfortable there, but not painful. But I had just hunger pains. Like, my stomach was killing. I recognized the pain as being starving. Um, I could hear my stomach growling, and I just knew I felt so weak from that. So I asked for a painkiller, and they're like, all right, you got to let the initial one from the operation wear off. So finally they come back, and they bring me a pill. 
I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm, again, drowning with, like, the saliva in my neck. I just had my neck sliced open. Like, probably the scar, by the way, is about five inches long. Uh, a little less than half a foot. Uh, maybe not quite that long. In between, like, a quarter of a foot and a half a foot. Anyway, large scar. And I was like, no way. And they come back and bring back a suppository. And I was like, oh, my God. Am I going to really choose to do this? And I was like, is there any other way? And they're like, oh, we can give you a shot. I'm also normally very afraid of shots. But I was like, yes, please. That sounds great compared to these other two options. So they give me a shot. And, like, minutes later, I just felt like I could start to breathe again. Not not great, but start to. And I could calm down and I started to feel myself kind of ease into like what felt like a sleep. Now there's noises all around. There's people snoring. There are other people slightly talking. My wife is tired from standing for hours and like asked to sit on the bed. So I'm getting woken up and I wasn't naturally asleep because I just been put under anesthesia, right? So like my body's awake. And it was just this in and out days, bad period. Uh, next thing I know, it's time for my wife to go at 8 p.m. So that's another thing is the visiting hours here are very regulated. They don't really make a lot of exceptions. They did let her come in early on the operation day. But, um, again, there's kind of a lot of rules about the way things are supposed to be done. And I was told later, it's kind of nice to know now, that if they, they'll, they'll tell you, like, hey, look, no more painkiller. But if you say, I don't care, I know I'm taking a risk, give it to me, I want it then they will do that. But you kind of need to be very direct. And maybe that's what happened with the painkiller I got, actually, was I was in maybe kind of dire situations, and they, they broke that rule early. Same thing with the candy, too. So my wife leaves. Things are feeling a little bit better, but it's, you know, mainly I'm just feeling so weak at this point. And they come in, they take out the catheter, <laughs> And I do remember being decent enough to kind of laugh about this and be like, oh, my gosh, here we go. And pull it out, and to be honest, not that bad. Um, I'll get to something I had to do after the surgery that was much worse than that. So things are on the up and up. I come and sit up and just just being like so happy to be totally upright and be able to breathe fully. And, yeah, things are restricted and feel weird, but, oh, my gosh, it felt so good. And they're like, all right, we're going to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I don't have to go, actually, but maybe you can just show me where it is. And they're kind of, like, looking at me, and they're like, are you okay? Like, and I was like, yeah, I think so. And like, you don't have to go to the bathroom? And I was like, nah. And they're like, all right, we're going to call someone something something son. They say a random Japanese last name. And I figure it's a nurse that can speak English. I'm like, okay, thank God, finally. And they actually call another patient at the hospital, uh, this girl from Michigan. And I feel so bad because I talked with her briefly before. I know her operation is the next morning. I know how I felt the night of the operation. At this point, it's probably around 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. And I was like, oh, man, um, this is like this is so bad, such a bad, bad situation. I'm not saying that I need they, the hospital should reschedule their schedule of English speakers around me, but um, they kind of made it out to be that way with everything before. They would always say, look, we'll make sure at your appointments still be English-speaking staff. I guess it's harder to do 24-7. And I'm not asking that, but it maybe would have been nice to know, hey, look, the night of your operation, there won't be anyone who speaks English, just so you know. 
um, which will get me to one of my major points later, which is kind of a lack of important information. And I don't think it's language-based either. Um, anyway, um, this girl comes in, super nice, like just tells me how great I look. She's like, you look even better now than you did the day before when I saw you. And uh, it's, well, really? And it, it kind of helped my spirits a bit to hear that because I f- to not feel good at all, you know? And, um, oh, yeah, by the way, I've woken up with that neck tube. It's draining blood out of it. It's attached to, like, this box thing that collects the blood. It's got IVs on me, this tube coming out of my neck. My neck's cut open. I'm talking to this girl. And, you know, (laughs) you feel the need to be, like, social and proper. But you just start. I was too tired to really be embarrassed. Anyway, so they, she says, you know what? They're telling me that you look kind of weak. And I was like, yeah, I, I warned them that this wasn't going to happen. Why don't you just lay down a bit? And if you have to go to the bathroom, you just hit this buzzer. And um, they'll come help you. So then they proceed to, like, cut off all these, like, um, paper underwear and stuff they gave me. So they're just sitting there, like, naked after this catheter has been torn out of you. I asked for her, like, not at all caring, just being so happy to be able to breathe. Normally something that would be very embarrassing to me. And um, now this is the same nurse who, like, told me Dame, which is kind of direct and rude, but I guess maybe I was being rude by hitting the, the call button too much. And she said, oh, like, your wife said that she would go buy some candy and leave it for you. Do you know where it is? And I said, oh, I think she left it at the nurse's station. And she's like, no, nah, she didn't. And I was like, okay, well, what can we be done about it, you know? And then she came back, like, five minutes later and was like, my candy. <laughs> Let me know it was from her personal collection and not my wife. And she slipped me two pieces of candy and maybe, like, a sweet tea. And I just remember drinking that sweet tea. It was like I got so much nutrients from it. I'm sure there was nothing in it. But it just instantly made me feel better. And, um, yeah, from there on out, you know, I, I slept, like, an hour that night and, they gave me a sleeping pill, but it, it did not work, um, which I'll get to later. The painkillers and sleeping pills and stuff they've given me have all, like, barely done anything. Not enough. Now, granted, the pain from my neck has been very minimal. It's more just tight and discomforting, and there's some sharp pains here and there, but it's not at all, like, a throbbing, aching. It's more just the lack of sleep I've been able to get at the hospital since then. Um bed is a little bit small i'm tall they come in every couple hours in the night with a flashlight to make sure like you're still alive or breathing and that makes me anxious knowing that it's coming so like if i was awake during one of those checks and i'm starting to fall asleep and it's an hour later on my mind i'm like well the flashlight check's gonna come in in another hour like do i just want to stay awake and try to sleep right after that and that's just always in my mind um yeah, so I've been speaking with that other girl a lot, and that's been the most therapeutic thing, honestly, is just having someone else to talk to the same experience with and give them advice on. And I haven't seen um, the other people doing that at all. I haven't seen any real social interaction. There are these kind of um, central meeting places, you know, really nice facility here, lounges, and people just kind of stay to themselves. And um, you have to do stretches every day, and I think it would be kind of cool if – they had like hey here's a morning stretch class even if there's not a teacher or anything like let's stretch together outside on the patio in the sun that's what i've been doing um and you know we've been in each other rooms this girl and i 
and this staff seems kind of shocked when they'll come in and they'll see us talking and they're like laughing whoa you're here together like whoa and it just gives us the feeling that yeah it's really abnormal to kind of socialize but what I want to get at with the lack of information is a lot of the things that I've been told um, or are because I've asked she didn't know about and she's been told things that I didn't know about now the funny thing is I've been told a lot of things that aren't necessary that would have been nice to have that information replaced with something she's been told for example I was given like a five minute tutorial on like how to use the washing and drying machine here but I wasn't told that like um, if you look down into the direction of where your tumor used to be that helps open up your breathing canal when you're getting that choking feeling that would have been amazing to know when I felt like I was dying and drowning but I wasn't told that even though I was kind of making it apparent that I felt like I couldn't breathe um I've been given times when certain things are done and if she's not told the exact time she's just told the afternoon I'm like oh no look this is going to be at at two o'clock um so that's been a real unless you really ask about things like um she's been told that it's going to kind of take a month for her thyroid to balance out since they've cut out half of our thyroids and you know you're going to kind of be emotional and have mood swings and you might get hungry at weird times and that's all normal i wasn't told any of that and that seems pretty important she's like oh well i did ask about like how is my thyroid doing now but it seemed like anyone would want to know that and granted we do have different doctors so that could come into play but it definitely seems like a real theme of only give you enough information and you have to ask for anything else you want so i'd say uh, major things learned (laughs) by this experience are um yeah medicine is a bit weak they're very sparse on it the days after the surgery I, i wanted the medicine to help me swallow i was still having trouble swallowing and uh just yeah, swallowing, even to spit and breathing. And the painkiller slightly helped with that. But it would take hours to kick in. And I felt like it really only lasted for like an hour and it would go away. I'm not great with medicine names. I usually don't take medicine, so I can't really give you the name for reference. Same with the sleeping pills. They haven't really worked. So I feel like I'm getting like the weakest dosage possible on those. Um, and maybe in Western medicine, we have slightly stronger medicine. So that's something you should be aware of. Um, now, granted, I've been told you could request stronger medicine, but to be honest, I'm not a big fan of taking it anyway. Um, they, yeah, and the whole information thing too, like only giving you when you ask information, and sometimes you have to call someone else, and it seems quite complicated. Like you're just, you know, ignore. I mean, they're really polite about it, but I'm just the type of person that's like, look, all right, I guess if it's really drastic, they'll tell me, and I don't need to know anything else. Um, but yeah, from here on out, I mean, another big thing is they're really just cautious. This is going to be the last, um, update. I might do a Q and a with Matt later. I might update you with the progress, um, what's going on, but you know, just say they're kind of overly cautious here from me having to be here seven days for a procedure in the States that takes one day or less than one day. Um, now, in that case, I think that's a really awesome thing, and it's great. And my wife experienced that with pregnancy, too. She was there for, I think, a week or more without any complications. I really like that. But I do wish, like, I could say, all right, look, I've had a good time. I'm relaxed. I'm ready to go home. I would say yesterday, uh, on Thursday, I was ready to go home, and I can't leave until Saturday morning. Same thing with medicine, like not overtaking medicine. 
just seems a bit overly cautious. Um, I have to do these neck exercises here every day, and that's the real, you know, they're saying you're going to really heal well if you just do this three times a day, and they're so short, and they're very religious. Like you're going to need to do this for months after. You're going to have to wear this Band-Aid on your neck for three months after. Like, it seems like, really? Like, you sure? I don't just need that for, like, a couple of weeks or a month. It makes me wonder now, after my experience here, and knowing how maybe other places do it, that things have been done overly cautiously. Um, I don't know if that's the right phrase in there, sorry. Um, but, yeah, it kind of makes me then doubt or wonder everything else I'm being told to some degree. Now, granted, I'd rather than be overly cautious than under and kind of rush me in and out. So I'm thankful. But sometimes it seems like a bit a bit much. Um, yeah, so just kind of update you on where I am now and the results. I'll say when I released part one of this, which was just yesterday in my time, uh, I had a large you know, kind of outpouring from our listeners and people said it was a very emotional episode. I really debated on, you know, putting that probably cancer in the title and, and using the word cancer because, to be honest, two and a half months ago it was mentioned when I asked again, is there a chance this could be cancerous? And he said, yes, it's probably cancer. He later in a later meeting re-clarified, I think this was a language issue, that, oh, well, we don't know. So, it, you know, it might, it could be. And to me, could be and probably are extremely different words. Um and I think that's the truer answer is that it could be. Um, none of that has been talked about since then. Like we're just going to remove the tumor and they analyze it for a month and then we'll know. But, you know, to me there is this underlying like, all right, well, that's that's a big deal. If it is, I have to come back in again and do this all over again and they remove my whole thyroid. And then I have to take medicine for the rest of my life. It's not super serious, but obviously, you know, taking medicine isn't great every day um but i just don't want to come in and go through the whole drowning experience again you know but the the point is that like no one seems very concerned about that maybe that's to keep me calm or whatever but we're not really talking about that uh, i come back in in a month so i assume i'll know a lot more then but for right now i've just been told i'm recovering the best i can my scar looks better than normal I've been told uh, I'm lucky to be white multiple times and I have really great tissue because I'm white, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's where I am. I'm in the best case scenario right now. My spirits are very high. Um, all the messages I got about people offering to help with the translation in the local area was really amazing. Uh, I've had more, you know, so many people trying to come visit and stuff. I've had to turn people away which is a really awesome feeling um so thank you for all that this we'll get back to our regular podcast probably uh the week after this one or you know the second week after so don't worry this isn't going to become some serious uh, emotional podcast from now on i'm really looking forward to getting back and talking about the normal subculture uh that we cover it's, we kind of took a break because of this and matt's been really busy with uh school and work so um yeah we're looking forward to getting back into the swing of things uh so thanks for listening to this journey i i made it a little more personal than i think i originally planned to but i think it's a interesting story and i hope you do too and uh yeah i hope you kind of learn some things about if you're ever in japan whether you live here or traveling kind of one of the maybe 
close to the worst case scenarios or a more serious uh, scenario what you're in for. And, you know, my review is it's not bad. Through this whole process, I've probably come away with more positives than I have negatives. Negative, I had one really bad day and night where I thought I was going to die. Um, but this whole experience has really taught me a lot about myself and what to be thankful for and, you know, how lucky I am in a lot of ways. And I've seen people since I've had this tumor diagnosis, I've seen tons of people I know on social media, you know, with severe cancer that's spreading and getting chemo. And I'm just so thankful that this isn't compared to that at all. Barely is affecting my life. I think even in the worst case scenario, it wouldn't affect my life too greatly. I can still do all the things I like and live a long life. Um, and the biggest thing is this has really made me aware that I need to go to the doctor often and try to be very proactive instead of uh, retroactive about my health. Uh, and, you know, Japan is a great place to be able to do that. There's doctor's offices everywhere. It's cheap to go. We have those annual health checks that I talked about. So um, if I was in my home country of the States right now, I would be... First of all, I wouldn't even know about this because it's too expensive to go to the doctor and I'm not forced to go to the doctor there. Even though I hate it and I'm afraid, I do think being forced to go to the doctor is a good thing because look what's happened here. Um, yeah, and it would just be so expensive and the care I would have gotten back home you know, wouldn't compare. So that's a wrap on this whole uh, documentary of the um, healthcare system. Again, I'll probably give updates here and there. I don't know if it'll be a full separate part three or if I'll just kind of do it in a normal podcast setting. But um, yeah, if you've ever gone through anything similar, whether it's in Japan or not, uh, reach out to us. We're on all types of social media, all the big ones. We just recently, I put us up on Stitcher. I think that'll be a big one for lots of, uh, especially non-Apple users. Uh, I checked it out and it's a pretty cool platform. So check out Stitcher, even if you don't like the Apple podcast app, uh, which isn't great. Uh, Stitcher is pretty cool. It works on all platforms. And yeah, again, I really appreciate you listening, taking the time to hear my story. And I hope uh, you've gotten something out of it. Thanks.